Hey there, thanks for tuning in to St. John's Asheville Sermon Podcast. We're a church in Sydney's inner west, following Jesus and helping people find grace, learn hope, and be light. If you'd like to visit us or find out more, go to cciw.church. Our first reading is from Ruth chapter 2. Um, if you're using a pew Bible, it's on page 211. Now Naomi had a kinsman on her husband's side, a prominent rich man of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain behind someone in whose sight I may find favor. She said to her, go, my daughter. So she went. She came and gleaned in the field behind the reapers. As it happened, she came to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Just then Boaz came from Bethlehem. He said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. They answered, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his servant who was in charge of the reapers, to whom does this young woman belong? The servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the Moabite who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the reapers. So she came and she has been on her feet from early this morning until now without resting even for a moment. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Keep your eyes on the field that is being reaped and follow behind them. I have ordered the young men not to bother you. If you get thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. Then she fell prostrate with her face to the ground and said to him, why have I found favour in your sight that you should take notice of me when I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. May the Lord reward you for your deeds, and may you have a full reward from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. Then she said, may I continue to find favour in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant even though I am not one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some of this bread and dip your morsel in the sour wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he heaped up for her some parched grain. She ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she got up to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, let her glean even among the standing sheaves and do not reproach her. You must also pull out some handfuls for her from the bundles and leave them for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned and it was about an ephah of barley. She picked it up and came into the town and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gleaned. Then she took out and gave her what was left over after she herself had been satisfied. Her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the name of the man with whom I worked today is Boaz. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, blessed be he by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a relative of ours, one of our nearest kin. Then Ruth the Moabite said, he even said to me, stay close by my servants until they have finished all my harvest. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is better, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, otherwise you might be bothered in another field. So she stayed close to the young women of Boaz, 
gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. The second reading is from Matthew 19, verse 28 to 30. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man is seated on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. Thanks, Sash. Uh, let's just come before God and pray. Uh, Lord, we pray that as we uh, look at your word this evening, uh, that you would give us um, insight into um, how you want us to grow, how you want us uh, to know you more. Uh, Lord, we pray that uh, the words I speak might not be uh, my own, but that you would be speaking through me that you would be encouraging us, um, and that you would be shaping us by your spirit. We pray this in your name. Amen. When I was doing uh, my ministry apprenticeship at Credo, uh, the Christian group at UTS, we had a weekend away uh, together, and uh, one of our guest speakers was running a workshop. Uh, And he did a fun get-to-know-you activity with uh, probably around 50 of our students. And what he asked was, Uh, In a zombie apocalypse, which two staff workers of Credo would you choose to to be with you, to offer you safety and to provide for you? Well, I was their first choice. Now, you might wonder why they chose someone as small and unapologetically unathletic as myself. But their reason was if they got injured or sick, apart from, you know, being attacked by a zombie, uh, that someone who had worked in an ICU would be a really helpful person to be present with them. Now, of course, my specialty was in babies and not adults, so there might have been some limitations to my expertise. But they thought uh, I was the person who was going to provide for them and to help them to be safe. Now, the second choice was someone a lot more practical and useful, uh, someone who could... Uh, tie ropes, um, do abseiling and canyoning, could actually like help you get away from zombies. Uh, but there you go, we were the top two choices for our students to give them safety and provision. And uh, now that might be an utterly ridiculous situation, um, which you know probably will never happen. Um, but it does speak of this reality that we all share. A fundamental need in any given moment to have our needs provided for, and to feel a sense of safety. So I wonder, where do you go to find safety? Perhaps you feel safe and secure uh, when there's a certain amount of money in your bank account, or you have a permanent job in the industry you've always wanted to work in, or when you feel in control of your day-to-day life and experience. When we don't have safety, it's incredibly hard to work, to develop relationships, to trust and depend on others, and to take any step you might need to alter your situation. We see this more and more in this never-ending pandemic. 
Each of us determines risks differently and we assess what we need for physical safety differently. But even then, this pandemic has shaken our sense of physical safety, hasn't it? It wears on each of us. And there really isn't a clear path to regain that physical safety. First, we're told it's the lockdowns. That's what is going to give us safety, the path to safety. Then vaccinations, that will ensure that we are safe. Now the path to safety is through learning to live with COVID. And yet each promise has not actually guaranteed us safety. We're not there yet. We haven't gone through to the end of the pandemic. We're not yet safe. And it's exhausting. Perhaps on top of the pandemic, you experience a lack of safety in another part of your life. Perhaps right now, uh, you don't have an emotionally safe workplace. Maybe there is constant bullying and rivalry that wears down your soul. It's not always obvious, but deeply insidious, flooding every relationship with a toxic game plane, manipulation, and one-upmanship. How do you retain energy for the other things in your life? How do you decide if that workplace is enough that you're going to pursue safety somewhere else? What does that even look like? Who do you commonly go to to have your needs provided for? Maybe you go to a trusted friend or your spouse or a combination of different places, maybe your housemate. Or maybe you're likely to try and fulfill your own needs in yourself without the help of others. If you're in a situation where your needs aren't being provided for, it's incredibly difficult to grow, to try new things, to make decisions for your future. Now, it's likely for most of us that our needs of physical shelter and food and things like that are taken care of. But what about our spiritual and emotional needs? Are we so focused on the needs of others that we don't even realise that we've become inattentive to our own needs? Perhaps over this Christmas time, you were reminded of a friend or family member who's always causing drama. They draw everyone in so that all of their wants and needs are fulfilled, but they never offer any support in return. You pour more and more into that relationship, but it's never enough. And that relationship starts to alter the way you interact in every space, seeing your value only by what you can contribute to others rather than who you are as a person. Perhaps you are so attuned to your own needs instead, but you often lose sight to the needs of others. Unless there's someone in crisis, you think, eh, everyone is doing fine, I don't need to worry. I can just look out for myself and that's all that's important. Well, where do we go to find safety and provision for ourselves and for those that we love? Can we actually trust that God is a God who is going to provide for us? That he's a God who's ensuring our safety? What does that even look like if that is what he promises? These questions, which underpin much of our shared human experience, are the questions that Ruth and Naomi are yearning to be answered. Where are they going to find protection and safety? Where are they going to find provision for all of their needs? 
Well, last week, if you remember, uh, we saw how Ruth's devotion to Naomi and to Yahweh brought them back to the town of Bethlehem. But they are still incredibly vulnerable and so much at risk of more harm. And we join them in this search for safety and provision of all they need. The author starts this next movement in the story by addressing us, the reader. The author gives us a hint of where the story is going to heighten our expectation. Like how the intro scene of a movie will show a frame or two of an important character. So you know that he will or she will turn up sometime later in the film and that they're going to be an important person to look for. You might not know how everything fits together, but you know when that person turns up that it's a key point in the movie. And what the author wants us to know as readers is that there's a close relative of Naomi. And we should all be like, there's a possible solution to all this devastation and hardship and chaos. But our characters, they are completely unaware of this reality. How will this story unfold? What sort of man is this man Boaz? Verse 1 depicts him as a prominent rich man. And this Hebrew idiom suggests that Boaz is not only wealthy, but that he is a man of great character. Literally, the phrase is a mighty man of strength or valor. Then the author stops addressing us, the reader, and he jumps fully back into the story. So looking at verse 2, And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain behind someone in whose sight I may find favor. She said to her, Go, my daughter. We know from the end of the chapter 1 that Naomi and Ruth return right at the time of the barley harvest. But as we said, just because they're back in Judah now does not mean that they are going to be safe. So Ruth decides to take action. She's like, I'm going to go get us some food now because otherwise we're going to starve and there's no one else who's going to help us, so I'm going to go out there and get working. But we also can sense her vulnerability. She hopes that she might find favour in someone, that someone might treat her with kindness. As a single Moabite woman, she is probably one of the most vulnerable people in society at that time. However, Naomi says, off you go, see what you can find. Uh, So Ruth goes out to the field to glean, and gleaning is a type of social welfare for God's people. People who were widows and orphans and foreigners were allowed to gather up pieces of the harvest that had been dropped or left behind in the workers of the field. This was in a way so that those who were most vulnerable, most in need, could still be fed. The owners of the land were actually prohibited from sending their workers back across the field a second time to ensure that those most vulnerable could be provided for. And Ruth is both a widow and a foreigner, and so she has a right to go and enter fields and to glean. Unfortunately, exploitation still happened. But Ruth has no other choice. She needs to go. And Naomi is so weighed down by her grief and her hopelessness, she has no capacity to join her. 
So Ruth goes and chooses a field to start gleaning in. In verse 3 it says, As it happened, she came to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was the family of Elimelech. And the word here that we get translated as, as it happens, it literally means by luck or by chance. Wow. She just turns up at this field and it happens to be Boaz. And we know that that's going to be a good sign for us. Naomi hadn't told Ruth where to go and glean or which field might offer her the best chance of safety. Ruth had no connection to any of the people. And so she just chose a random place and was like, here we go, this looks good. And I'm going to start gleaning now. You might find it a bit surprising that the Bible uses ideas like chance and luck. You might be thinking, but God is in control and he's a God who provides. Surely there can't be anything just by chance, by luck. But I think what we are seeing here is a serendipitous moment of God using the decisions of ordinary people, seemingly by chance, seemingly at random, to work about his plans and purposes. Early on in the first lockdown, I was feeling uh, really overwhelmed by the prospect of not seeing friends or family. Uh, It was getting late that one evening, uh, around 10 o'clock at night, and I was having this intense sense of, it's just too much, it's too hard. And by chance, our doorbell rang. A friend had come to drop off a few goodies for me. She had planned to come earlier in the day, but had been caught up at work. She had considered maybe not even turning up because it was getting late. And I'd assumed that she wasn't going to come by because it was 10 o'clock at night and I was getting ready for bed. But thankfully, she decided that she would drop around. And so unannounced, here was my friend on the doorstep, right in the moment where I most desperately needed a sign of God's safety and provision. A moment of comfort and reassurance, just by chance. And yet it was so clear to me in that instant that it wasn't by chance at all. It was God showing to me his kindness to answer the longing prayer of my heart in that moment. He was showing me that I wasn't as alone or separated from everyone as I thought. And it was a moment where he reminded me that I was safe with him. God's plans and our decisions intertwine in a beautiful and remarkable and often surprising ways. And for Ruth, not only did she arrive at Boaz's field of all fields, but all of a sudden, Boaz turns up as well. Another moment seemingly by chance. If this was a rom-com movie that we were watching, uh, this next section is Ruth and Boaz's meet-cute, their first sight of each other. And Boaz says uh, to the reapers, he says, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his servant, who is in charge of the reapers, to whom does this young woman belong? The servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the Moabite who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. Ruth had said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the reapers. So she came and she's been on her feet from early morning until now, 
without even resting for a moment. Did you notice Boaz's greeting to his workers? His greeting is a demonstration of his faithfulness in God. He's the sort of upright man who hopes for goodness for those who work for him. And the response of his workers is demonstrates the respect and honour that they have for him. And then Boaz notices a foreign woman in his field. And so he asks his chief attendant, who is this person? Well, twice the attendant draws our attention to the fact that Ruth is a Moabite woman. She's a Moabite from the country of Moab, unsurprisingly. He's instructing Boaz of what sort of cultural and religious response that Boaz should have to this woman. She's a foreigner. And yet, Boaz forgoes all cultural barriers and addresses Ruth directly. It's an utterly shocking response. Boaz says to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Keep your eyes on the field that is being reaped and follow behind them. I have ordered the young men not to bother you. If you get thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. In a moment, Ruth is seen. She is elevated. Boaz addresses her as daughter, giving her status among the people. He offers her safety in his field to gather without being harassed by his workers or others. And he has given her the provision of physical need of water. Now, you might think that's a pretty normal thing if you're working in a field to be able to drink water that's there. But as a Moabite woman, Ruth would be seen as unclean, unable to share from a common drinking vessel. If she drank from it as someone who was unclean, then the vessel would become unclean. And then anyone who drank from it would also become richly unclean. And yet, Boaz invites her to drink freely from it. He is demonstrating that he is seeing her as a member of God's people. And therefore, he is deeming that she is ritually clean, able to share in this common drinking vessel. Ruth is utterly overwhelmed by this display of kindness. She falls on her knees in a display of utmost respect, unsure why she is receiving so much kindness. But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, how you left your father and mother and your native land, and you came to a people that you did not know before. May the Lord reward you for your deeds, and may you have a full reward from the Lord, the God of Israel, who's under whose wings you have come to find refuge. Boaz sees Ruth's faithful devotion, and he elevates her. He see what he, Ruth has done for Naomi has spread across the town of Bethlehem like wildfire. They've maybe even only been in Bethlehem one day, and yet Boaz already knows the whole story of how she has shown her devotion. And as soon as Boaz connects Ruth and Naomi, Ruth recognizes that, sorry, Boaz recognizes that Ruth 
is a true Israelite. He sees her faith and he again confirms her status amongst the people of God by boldly proclaiming God's covenantal faithfulness over her. And he sees that she has put her trust and faith in the Lord. Ultimately, that she has put her hopes for safety at the feet of Yahweh. She has found refuge in the wings of our God. And yet it still seems too good to be true for Ruth. Completely unexpected. But more is still to come. More generosity. At mealtime, Boaz invites Ruth to join the meal that was prepared for his workers and servants. And he serves her himself, giving her an abundant amount of food, so much that she is satisfied and has enough to take home with her to Naomi. And then when it's time for her to return to gleaning, Boaz instructs his workers further to make sure that they don't ridicule Ruth that they don't rebuke her for how much she is gathering. And he commands them to intentionally leave behind more barley than they should have. Not just what would normally fall out as they were gathering, but to pull out pieces for her to glean. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening, and then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ether of barley. She picked it up and came into the town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gleaned. Then she took out and gave her what was left over and after she had been satisfied. It says here that uh, Ruth gathered about an ephah of barley, which is around 35, 40 kilos of barley. So imagine after a long day of work, hoisting it on your shoulders and carrying that back to the town. This is the amount of food that would probably feed Naomi and Ruth for weeks. And when she returns, Naomi is utterly surprised by how much Ruth has gathered in just one day. It's just almost unimaginable. It would be like earning seven to $8,000 just for turning up to your workplace and doing a little bit of cleaning. It's unbelievable the amount that she was able to gather and the abundance of Boaz's provision for her. This provision lifts Naomi's eyes out of her bitterness, out of her hopelessness, and she praises God for his kindness to them. She then asks, well, where did you glean all day? What happened? How did you get this much? And then when Ruth reveals it was Boaz's field that she worked in, Naomi also says to her, the man is a relative of ours, one of our nearest kin. We are seeing what we knew from the beginning, that Ruth and Naomi are this close relative in Boaz. Across this chapter, Naomi more and more recognises Ruth as part of her family. We see in the chapter nine times mentioning that they are mother-in-law and daughter-in-law. And here in verse 20, we truly see that Naomi is no longer just seeing Ruth as a woman who married her son, but rather is her true and whole family. And so it is their family that Boaz is connected to. 
Elimelech's, uh, Naomi's husband who had died, has a, a connection in Boaz. And Boaz has this legal standing in the people of God um, and within that particular family as their kin or kinsman redeemer. That meant that he had the legal ability to redeem the land that should have been Elimelech's, that should have been Naomi's and Ruth's, and to redeem it back to their family. And so not only has Ruth offered, uh, been offered safety and provision by Boaz, not just for that one day, but for the rest of the entire harvest, but there's also now hope that Boaz, uh, by God's grace, will ensure that both Ruth and Naomi will find permanent safety and provision. So what should we take from this story? Should we just see this story as uh, you just need to find a man and then you'll never have to worry again? Or men, just be like Boaz, a strong provider, and that's all we need to do? No. Both of those ideas flatten this story to a point of irrelevance and diminish all of their characters in the way that would be bland and uninspiring. Ruth is not a person who is idle or passive. She's not someone who's just sitting at home waiting for someone to miraculously appear and whisk away all her troubles. Ruth is an active participant in this story. She risks her own safety so that she can provide for Naomi and for herself, not knowing what she would find. She, uh, this story uh, shows us three times the intense reality of the risk that she's putting herself into. The story could have so easily gone a completely different direction. And yet, Ruth, by hoping and trusting that God will bring her to a place of safety and provision, is able to go out and embrace risk in order to get to provide for Naomi. And once again, we see that Ruth is a type of Christ. Jesus, who of all people, could have ensured his own safety and ensured that he was never in need of anything. But instead, he set aside his safety and internal provision completely aside. He entered human history. He experienced pain and hunger he had needs that went unmet, and he shared in loss with us. He laid aside his safety and did not grasp hold of his needs to the point of facing trial, being abandoned by friends, and finally to death in order to win ultimately safety and provision for us. We who are the vulnerable, the helpless, and the passive recipients in so many ways of his eternal safety and provision. There are going to be seasons in our life where God might call us, like Ruth, like Jesus, to walk a path that foregoes our own safety, that sets aside our own needs for the benefit of others. This might look like staying for a time in a challenging workplace in order to be an agent of change for the benefit of others. It might look like foregoing the approval 
of friends that you know in order to be honest about your faith. We might also have seasons in life that are like Naomi, where we experience circumstances that shake our sense of safety, like maybe right now. And we might even come unsure if it is God who is providing for us. We might need lots of help at that time. We might need people to walk with us, to go out into the world for us, and to be guides for us back to safety. But be assured, these seasons too will pass. God has not forgotten us. He has not abandoned us. He remains present with us, often very much through the presence of others. And he is working even in that season where we feel a loss of safety, a loss of provision. He is leading us and drawing us to a new season where we will experience his provision in ways that we cannot yet imagine and that we can regain our sense of safety. We saw that in our New Testament passage in reading Matthew 19, uh, verse 29. Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields in my namesake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. This promise is not just a distant, far-off promise for us. It is a promise that God is working in and through us now. And one of the clearest ways that he does this is through the family of believers that gathers together each week. Perhaps for a time we won't be able to see the safety that God is bringing us. And then all of a sudden it will become clear. We'll see God's safety and his provision in our life more fully again. I know that in seasons where I have felt lost, when I felt that God hasn't clearly shown me his provision, where I have been unsure of how he is providing me safety, that he has not abandoned me in that space, but he has drawn me through it. And he has reassured me of his love and care. That he has provided me with people who show me again what it is to love and serve our Lord. To be assured that he is a God who is good and provides for our needs. That he is a God that draws us into safety. And finally, our God is a God who delights in pouring out his abundant provision on us. God's character of generosity is modelled for us in Boaz. He offered safety and provision to others out of his own abundance. And there are going to be seasons in our life where we similarly will live in a place of safety and abundance. And maybe some of that, for some of us, that will be a lot of our life experience. And God calls us to be stewards in this world, giving safety and provision to others just like he has done for us as adopting us as his children and how Boaz did for Ruth and Naomi. Perhaps this will look like contributing to the work of organisations that seek to bring justice and safety to the most vulnerable. Like IJM, Compassion, or the White Ribbon Foundation. It might look like simply inviting a family or a friend over from church for dinner or lunch who needs to feel the love of God from others at the moment. 
What does it look like to become the family of God, of believers here, for those who maybe have lost family or who don't have people who are close by that they can rely on? God has promised that we are going to become the people who provide for one another. But whatever it is, whatever ways in which God calls us to offer this safety and provision to others, we can do it because it is our God who has offered that to us first in our Lord Jesus Christ. It is in whom, in him whom we find refuge in his wings. It is in Christ whom we have assurance of a day where we will be in complete safety, where all of our needs will be provided, not in a scant and minimalistic way, but in overwhelming abundance. And on that day, we will see our Lord face to face. We will find rest in his wings. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so thankful to you that you are a God who abundantly provides for us, that you are a God who draws us into spaces of safety. Lord, when we lose sight of the ways in which you are working in us and in our world, we're overwhelmed by the chaos that we see around us and we're uncertain of how you will provide. Lord, show us again your goodness. Lord, help us to be conduits of your grace, of your provision and of your safety, that people might see that you are a God who is good, that you are a God who loves us and that pours out your goodness on us each day. Help us to be people of that grace and love and peace. We pray this in your name. Amen.